You might not remember what we talked about on Sunday morning, August 12th, so six weeks ago today. That was the day that I introduced this Great Commandment message series. And now that we are approaching the end of it, I have to pause to say that I have really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot along the way as well. On that Sunday, I also offered an invitation to all of you to share your thoughts on the topic with me. Two days later, I received an email. The first time I read it, I knew that it was good. Now that we have had the opportunity to take a little closer look at what it might mean to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, I have to say that I have an even deeper appreciation for what it has to say. I'd like to share it with you in just a moment. But for now, could we open our Bibles to Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. What I hope at this point is becoming a pretty familiar passage. Here's what it says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered those who were questioning him well. The scribe asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, and this is what we'll be focusing on this morning. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I have to tell you that there are at least uh, a few things that jump out to me about that passage of Scripture. In particular, that part about loving our neighbor as ourselves. You probably already caught it, but I think it's pretty interesting that there's two parts of, of this commandment. And that in order to do the first part well, in order to live it out correctly, it involves, it requires doing the other half of it well. Maybe I could say that a little differently. It's only when, it's only when we are able to love and care for ourselves that we will ever be able to truly love and care for others. In order to love our neighbor as ourself, we must be able to love ourselves, which is all wrapped up in being able to receive and accept God's love. I know that sounds 
easy enough. But I believe that this is actually something that uh, many people struggle with, uh, perhaps more than anything else. I mean, really receiving, absorbing, without doubt, without hesitation, the perfect love of the Father. Probably a number of reasons for this. But this morning, I'd like to focus on just two that I think are pretty common. Beliefs or ideas that prevent us from experiencing God's love ourselves and in turn keep us from loving others. The first one is things that I've done or haven't done. They're just too much. The second is this feeling. I'm just not good enough. Let's look at the first together. Uh, not being able to experience God's love or to love ourselves because of things we've done or things we haven't in our past. I'd like to begin with a question. Have you ever been talking to someone before about God or about your faith or about your church and heard them say something like, if I ever stepped foot in a church, it would probably burn down. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe you've even said that before yourself. When I was a chaplain at Valley Hope, um, I heard that a lot. I heard a lot of wild and crazy things when I was a chaplain uh, at Valley Hope. But I think of all the things I heard, that may just have been the most wild and crazy. I mean... To think, to think that anything any of us might ever do could be somehow bigger and more powerful than the grace, the mercy, the love of God. The same God that spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. The same God who sent his Son to take our place on the cross. Wild and crazy. That being said, I do understand where they're coming from because I slip into that mentality myself from time to time. We probably all do. When I find myself feeling that way that maybe I've done something or I, I haven't done something that affects God's affection for me. I think about the Apostle Paul. Listen to this, found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Here's what Paul says. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe, that's us, in him for eternal life. 
It's difficult for me to think of uh, the Apostle Paul as the chief of sinners. That's the way that that passage is translated in other versions. The chief of sinners. Hard to think of Paul that way. But when we remember what he was up to when he had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Does anybody remember what his name was Saul at that point in his life before he became Paul? Does anybody remember or recall what he was up to when we first meet him? He was persecuting the church. He was martyring Christians for their faith. Now, I know that Scripture says something about you know, all sin being equal in the eyes of God. But uh, to me, I can think of nothing worse on the scale of badness, if such a thing were to exist. I'm talking about, you know, like kind of bad, uh, pretty bad, and really, really bad. I can think of nothing worse that anybody could do than what it was that Paul was doing, killing Christians for their faith. And here's the most phenomenal thing about Paul's story, is that God not only forgave Paul, God not only loved Paul, God used Paul. Perhaps more than any other Christian in history. We remember that Paul almost, almost single-handedly founded almost all of the first century churches. Through him, God wrote more of the New Testament that followers of Christ have been reading for the last two millennia than any other person. It's phenomenal. Years after Paul's conversion experience, he wrote, and we find this in Romans 8:38. He says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No exceptions here. Nothing in heaven or on earth, nothing we do or don't do, nothing physical or spiritual can cause God to love us any less. That is a powerful promise. What would it mean to you in your life to truly believe and receive this promise? That there is nothing that we can ever do or not do that would cause God to love us any less. And can I add this this morning? There is nothing that we could ever do or not do that could make us unusable to God and for God's glory. On the contrary, when we read this book from cover to cover from Old Testament to New Testament, we begin to see a pattern that God almost seems 
to prefer to use the least likely when it comes to accomplishing incredible things. It's almost like he seeks out the broken, the weak, the outcasts, the least of these, the least likely to accomplish his greatest works. Ever wonder why that is? Maybe it has something to do with leaving no question as to where the power and the strength and the plan comes from. Not from our might, not from our strength, but from His. Reminds me a little bit about what we talked about last week, loving God with all of our strength as learning to depend more and more on Him. All this is to say, if you are imperfect, you are in good company. Amen? And don't believe for a moment that our imperfections or our mistakes can cause God to love us any less. The second common belief or idea that can prevent us from experiencing God's love and keep us from sharing that love with others kind of goes hand in hand with the first. It's that feeling that just not good enough. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning. You can just signify by saying, "Mm mm-hmm, if this resonates with you or if you can relate. When it comes to your relationship with God, have you ever felt like this? I'm just not good enough. Mm-hmm. Probably all of us at one time or another. Can I just cut to the chase on this one and tell you that it's true? You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough in and of ourselves to earn or somehow deserve God's love. Romans 3.23 says that all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's good news here. Uh, It's great news, actually. It may be the best news is that God loves us anyway. Not because we have earned or because we deserve it. Because we are his children. 1 John 3.1 It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What a weight it is that can be lifted from our shoulders and removed from our lives. When we come to realize and accept that God's love for us 
is never dependent on our performance. Now, he's not finished with us yet, but he'll never love us more than he does right now, this moment. Do you believe that this morning, that nothing we can ever do or not do can cause God to love us any less? Do you believe that even though in and of ourselves we can never be good enough, but because we are washed clean and made new by our faith in Jesus Christ, that we become good enough? The catch in all of this, and there's always a catch, it's this, is that, I mean, God loves us no matter what. But in order to access, in order to experience the grace that he offers and extends to us, it requires us accepting it. I mean, we can give our children all the gifts in the world, but unless they are willing to receive them, it doesn't change their lives. So how do we do that? How do we do that? We do that by asking God to forgive our mistakes and by inviting Christ to dwell in our hearts and make us new. Um, it's a journey, to be sure. But this is the starting point. Loving ourselves, it begins by accepting God's love for us. It continues by cultivating that love in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, and through our strength. I'd like to say a few words next about what it might look like, what it might mean to love our Neighbor, you know, once we have learned or at least gotten a little bit better at accepting God's love for us. But first, I'd like to go ahead and read this email. Here's what it says. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? To me, it means we must care for others as we care for ourselves. Our life on earth is a gift from God. We are to take care of our body, mind, and soul so that we can focus on being healthy to help God carry out his plan for us and others. Reminds me a little bit about that oxygen mask on the airplane. Loving your neighbor means we should care for those in our path the same way we care for ourselves, as others are put there intentionally by God. There's a lot there. When I read it, it reminds me of the importance of being healthy myself, my relationship with God. That's the only way I'll ever be able to minister to others out of my overflow. So once our relationship with God is in a good place, 
It's being cultivated and it's growing in our hearts, in our mind, in our hands, in our soul. The second part of this commandment, uh, it comes quite naturally. I mean, we, we can't help it, actually. You've probably all heard the phrase before that hurting people hurt people. This morning I'd like to offer or add the flip side to that. Healthy people help people. Healthy people in their relationship with God, they encourage others. They lift them up. Why? Because they want for others to experience the same freedom and joy and peace and deliverance that they have. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't take intentionality or that it isn't difficult sometimes, because it is. But I can tell you that it is much easier when we have the love of God flowing through us. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie before or read a book or sometimes you, you see it especially in cartoons and um, I think actually I didn't share this in first service but the image just came to me of the old cartoon skunk named Pepe Le Pew and he was always in love and you could just, I mean it was like an aura around him. Have you ever met anybody like that? I mean, like they just have so much love of God on them, you can't help but be affected by it. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Sounds pretty good. For me, it helps always to have a little bit of practical advice. I mean, how do I get from where I am today to being that kind of person who just radiates the presence and the love of God to everyone that I meet. Can't think of any better place to find practical advice on what it might look like to love our neighbor than the famous love chapter Paul writes in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, you've probably all heard it before, especially if you've been to a wedding. But this morning, I'd like to invite you to listen to these words a little differently. Maybe as we go through it, picture somebody in your life that you could love better. And imagine what it might look like to apply some of these principles to that relationship. So I'm going to paraphrase just a tiny bit. But here's what Paul has to say, practical advice on loving others. Paul says, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men, even in the tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I am nothing more than a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. He says, I could have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so much as to remove mountains. 
But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I gain nothing. So here's the principles here, how to put it into practice. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, Paul says, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away also. But faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of these three is love. See, Scripture tells us that it is not possible to love God without loving our neighbor. And until we can learn to accept and receive God's love for us, we'll never be able to love our neighbor. I know it's a little bit confusing, but these three things, loving God, loving neighbor, loving ourself, they're all interrelated and we can't have uh, one without the others. We can't have two out of three or we'll miss something. In this series, and here we're just sort of taking or beginning to take a reflective step back. In this series, we've talked a lot about things that we can do or stop doing in order to experience more of God's love in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, through our strength, in our, in our own relationship with God and in our relationship with others. I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again, and this is my final point. You know, I know that it would be easy to listen to this entire message uh, as just a list of more stuff that I should be doing, or even worse, A list of things, more things to feel bad about because I'm not doing them very well. I hope you haven't felt that way. I hope that hasn't been your experience. But if it has, I have to tell you, you might be missing the point. Actually, I'm just going to say it. You are missing the point. And we don't want that. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do. What this series has really been all about. You have to close your eyes, though, in order to experience it. If you feel comfortable this morning, would you close your eyes? And I'd like to invite you to picture. Picture the time in your life when you felt the most 
loved. The time in your life when you felt love more real, more deeply than any other moment. Now, if you're having a hard time finding that moment, maybe you don't have a lot of experiences of love in your life. Just imagine, imagine it. Can you see it? Can you feel it inside? If you've got that image, if you've got that feeling, if you've got that moment, now, you ready? Multiply that by infinity. That's what this whole thing is about. Falling deeper in love with God about those things in our life or in our minds or in our hearts that block us from experiencing it more deeply. God wants nothing more than to be closer to us. And whether we realize it or not, whether we comprehend or perceive it, there is nothing more that we want and desire in our lives than to fall deeper in love with God. Next week, we're going to have a brief recap or outline of the entire series. And I'll be bringing an outline that's printed and you can take home with you, uh, perhaps to help you apply and not forget some of the things we've talked about in this series. There's also a piece of the whole thing that we haven't quite looked at together yet, a little bit different angle. So I'm looking forward to exploring that together. If you had that feeling this morning, even if it was just a glimpse, just a glimpse of more of God in your life, more love, more power, hold on to that, because that's what this journey is all about. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so very much that there is nothing that we can do or not do that would cause you to love us less. Lord, we confess, we know that in and of ourselves, we are not good enough. We do not earn or deserve your grace, but through the sacrifice and love of your son, we are made clean and made new. Help us, Lord, to be patient, to be kind to the people around us and to share the love that you have given to us, to all that we meet. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.